Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Jody Webb of Kingsgate Ranch. In this episode, we jump right into Jody's testimony of growing up in a rodeo and ranching family and her experiences of various forms of abuse to include sex trafficking. In no way, shape, or form is this episode intended to be a political pawn, but a first-hand testimony of the realities of human trafficking and the challenges that we face not only in this country, but throughout the world. I have the utmost respect for Jody's journey and the highest level of admiration for all that she has done to furnish the restorative process in many lives through horsemanship and faith. For more information on Jody, visit kingsgateranch.org. That's K-I-N-G-S-G-A-T-E-R-A-N-C-H.org. Or check out her Colors of Hope program at colorsofhope.org. And that's C-O-L-O-R-S hyphen O-F hyphen H-O-P-E dot org. Should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us both on Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Jody Webb. Well, um, so we actually have quite a few things happening. Um, we are trying to acquire a property in the San Antonio area. Um, acquiring that property would serve quite a few um, different other organizations um, within the San Antonio Hill Country area as well as statewide. Um, so that property, our focus for that property is um, obviously on site would be the Colors of Hope Equine Restoration Program, which is what I developed um, many moons ago um, due to my own trauma and my own story. And um, the property itself, our main focus at Kingsgate Ranch is focusing on um, boys, preferably ages 16 to 25. Um, we focus on them for some major purposes of preventing sex trafficking. And a lot of people ask me, like, how in the world are you going to prevent sex trafficking with that age demographic? And our main focus is instilling identity in Christ in them by using the tool of the horse. Um, and then also, um, our ministry is focused on deliverance, um, and inner healing. And so we feel that focusing on that age demographic, we then prevent, um, sexual abusers from continuing. We prevent rape from happening. We prevent addiction to pornography. We prevent drug dealers from being created. We prevent traffickers from being created. And so in all of that, that's prevention at its utmost um, highest peak, basically, is prevention of young girls and boys from being purchased for sex. Um, and so we are really, really focusing on the male demographic and really changing so that we're raising up honorable men of society that honor women, respect women, and don't sexualize women. Um, and in that instance, we're actually changing the dynamic of what trafficking looks like. Yeah, I was going to say, if the conversation allows, we might be able to get in the weeds a little bit with that. Um, obviously, given my experience, I took more of a demand reduction approach to to the human trafficking world when uh, that's what I was involved in. And uh, 
it's definitely going to be an uphill battle because you have what generational glorification mm-hmm. of sex as far as marketing, right, and sales and things right. of that sort. I mean, it's a it's a very well funded industry. Um, it's deeply rooted. It's taboo. So uh, yeah. You know, the hillside is going to be steep, uh, but that's not to say we don't try and make the effort. And I think through a lot of your programs, right, and the ripple effect and, and finding the right people to invest, and I'm talking not talking financially investing, right, emotionally investing into the work that, that takes place at Kingsgate Ranch and through Colors of Hope, uh, it, it, with due time, right, we'll start making, start making appropriate change. 100%. And Jody, let's get into your history and why human trafficking, sex trafficking uh, runs so deep in your in your veins as far as the prevention and the hard work that you put forth in, in changing our country's approach in, in combating human trafficking. So I'm going to kind of just open the floor and let you start where you wish. For those of you that think human trafficking and human smuggling is an international problem, go ahead and roll your windows up and uh, turn the volume up because you're about to hear how it really goes in the United States. Jody, the floor is yours. Mm, thank you. Um, well, I'll start with, um, so basically, um, I am a prodigy, I always say, of teen parents. Um, so I was born to teen parents, which um, already started off on rocky roads. But from there, um, I also um, was molested starting at birth um, and started being trained with pornography at age three. And then at age seven, I was actually sold for the first time at rodeos and ranch uh, rodeos. So I come from a rodeo and ranching and farming background, and that's all of my family dynamics on all sides. And basically, my life was what I call a ripping, shredding tsunami of trauma and abuse. So if I wasn't being emotionally and physically abused, I was being sexually abused. And um, I did have a wonderful, great biological father. And so um, he definitely is a saving grace in my life and um, love to 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 put that out there. But yeah, I mean, being trafficked at rodeos and ranch rodeos, a lot of people are like, you know, how the heck does that happen? That's supposed to be, you know, a wholesome sport, a family sport. And um, you have all these great, you know, individuals within in that industry and which is is absolutely true. You know, I married a pro rodeo cowboy and our family is still in rodeo and um we love the sport and I do anything for it. I rodeoed um in college. Um, so it it runs deep in our blood, but unfortunately, you know, you have rodeos that are larger rodeos, smaller rodeos are still the same as trafficked at smaller rodeos as well. And you have, you know, those that come through that, you know, definitely aren't of God and don't have morals and values and think that buying children for their pleasure and their gain is okay. And, that is basically, you know, my life story. Um, as a child, I ended up graduating early from high school, um, to get out of the home. And, uh, but I was from an educated family. So being from an educated family, you're kind of like pushed to go to college. Um, so I entered into college and started rodeoing in college. School was always extremely, extremely difficult for me because of the trauma. Um, education was, really, really hard for me. I'm severely learning challenged, um, and dyslexic. And so, um, you know, getting down the road of college was not an easy task at all, but in college, I also, um, I had stopped obviously being trafficked by other people, um, when I left, um, home. And then, um, in that instance, um, 
you know, I only knew what I knew um, in my traumatized brain. And so in college, I started trafficking myself at rodeos um, a little bit, not, not intensively, but I did that. And then I stopped that on my own. I think it was just the recognition of, you know, Hey, I'm not in this, you know, old environment anymore. And I don't, this doesn't have to be my life. So I stopped that and actually broke my leg in college goat tying. And that kind of stopped my college rodeo career. And, um, shortly after breaking my leg, I met my beautiful husband and he was the first man in my life that never expected, um, sex out of me. Um, matter of fact, he was anti-sex um, in our relationship and just wanted to honor me as a woman. And I had never had that. And so, um, lo and behold, not shortly after that, we, we married and we tried to have children for five years. Um, and that did not happen. We lost eight babies in the process. We lost some naturally and some through in vitro fertilization. And, and then God blessed us with our oldest daughter, Peyton, and she's now fixing to start her life. Um, going to be 18 and leaving home. And, uh, and then my youngest daughter, Bryn, is uh, 16, fixing to be 17. And so, yeah, so that's just kind of a shortened, condensed form of my life. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a lot, a lot of content there in the last five minutes of testimony. And one thing that I want to hit on and kind of develop is the self-preservation in those that are trafficked, right? And those that face these substantial levels of abuse. And the only reason that I can speak on the matter is throughout my career, uh, for a few years, I was assigned to a unit responsible for the enforcement of human trafficking and human smuggling. So I got to see it from the enforcement side of, of, of life, right? And, you know, there's many misnomers in this country that it's a quote unquote victimless crime. And these, these men and women are out just doing it because they quote unquote want to do it. And until you really get into the psychology of abuse and how the conditioning and grooming process takes place, you know, like you, like you talk about, um, a lot of kids are conditioned and groomed at ages where they don't know any better. So how they are conditioned, how they're groomed becomes quote unquote normal. They think that's how life is supposed to be lived. And you somewhat explain it in your story, how, you were trafficked at a very early age, but then at one point you you solicited yourself with no right. with no outside influence. I think that's where the misnomer comes in that people want to do it. No, it's not that you want to do it. It's that the the, the psychology of the abuse forced that mm-hmm. scenario. That's what was familiar to you. Yeah. And uh, so I want to talk a lot about today in in the transformation process. Right? How how you were deeply ingrained with some horrific abuse. Yet the restoration process took place and has now grown to an exponential service that you provide to to many other people throughout the world. So let's focus on, let's start with the early forms of, of the transition that took place. And it sounds like it was uh, you meeting your husband. Uh, let's talk about how how the mindset of abuse started to end and, and the restoration process began for you mentally. So I think... I, I did have two sets of grandparents in my life. Um, one was a world champion horseman. And so that's where I kind of got my horse skills from growing up. The other was um, a farmer. And in those instances, the even though I didn't get to see them that often, that definitely was some very sound mental 
um, and emotional support for me. So I did get the seeds from them um, here and there. And so I think that played a huge factor in me recognizing right from wrong Mm -hmm. in college Mm -hmm. and stopping, you know, and so that, that definitely played a a factor in that. But, um, I think my husband, um, just, he's just such an incredibly sound black and white, just solid human being, you know, I mean, he, it just honored women and didn't sexualize women. And, um, you know, his father was the same way. And so, um, even though I didn't recognize that that's what I was latching onto, that's part of, you know, what I was latching onto. Yeah, the stability. Yeah, the stability, um, and the security. And so the stability and the security was good, um, until my second daughter was born. And then, um, I don't know if it was just the stress of having two kids, you know, under the age yes. of, you know, two, they were back to back. They were like having twins. I don't know what it was that triggered and my abuse started bubbling up again. Um, and so in that moment, I started drinking, going out, doing things that I shouldn't be doing. And, um, you know, it was so crazy because you have such a traumatized brain, but yet I was such a sound parent. And it, it's so mind boggling. My girls and I talk about this all the time because it was like I had them in church. Um, you know, I was helping on Wednesday night at church and we were at church every Sunday. There was so much that I, you know, I never yelled at them. I never hit them. I never talked down to them. I never disrespected them. I mean, it was just this dynamic that I know I got from both sets of grandparents. Um, and then my husband, because he's that way. And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, even though what I grew up with and my brain was so disoriented, I still had these like winks of, of, I didn't know God. I didn't know him at all. I had my children in church, but I had no clue who he was. I did not accept Jesus at that time, having children. I just knew that this was quote unquote, a safe place. And so that's where I took my kids because I didn't want them to be abused and I didn't want them to have the life that I had. And so I really poured into my children in the best way that I knew how. And so I would stuff down um, one of my main go-tos was eating. Um, so I've had multiple eating disorders. And so um, trying to stuff down what was bubbling up, I would either drink, um, not excessively, but I would drink or you know do things I shouldn't or basically um, eat. And so my weight fluctuated from almost 300 pounds down to next to, you know, nothing, you know, it looked like I was going to blow away. Um, But at the age of 35, um, a mentor came into my life and it literally was a God thing. The Lord had told her that I had been trafficked and sexually abused and that basically that I'd never told a soul. And so she came into my life. And at that point, I was just so incredibly depressed, attempted suicide, even with two precious children, I had attempted suicide that my husband didn't even know about. I just, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to exist, but I couldn't figure out why. Um, even though I knew my, you know, my story and I knew my abuse, I didn't understand why that I would not want to live having two, you know, gorgeous children that were just actually just angels on earth. And then this beautiful husband, like it made no sense whatsoever, but her coming into my life really just allowed me to start peeling back the layers. She's the first person that I had admitted that I was trafficked and sexually abused um, and emotionally and physically abused. And she helped me start working through that. I accepted Jesus as my savior. 
And once really accepting him as my savior and understanding what that looked like is when the true healing started. He really is the one that just picked me up off the floor and gave me purpose. Um, I, I started understanding my identity was no longer wrapped in my trauma. It was wrapped in Jesus and that he loves to redeem time. And so that he was going to redeem every single thing that had ever happened to me. Um, and then some and give me back full, full force. And so in all of that, though, the key piece of all of that was Jesus and horses. So where a lot of people, I'm not a huge, gigantic horse person where I train horses and I can, you know, I'm not all of you guys, but um, <laughs> uh, definitely not that. But, you know, I rodeoed, I knew horses, but I would find myself like with just sitting in the field watching them graze. Or I would go down to the barn and sneak down there when nobody was around and no one knew I was doing. And I would sit in the stalls and I would just cry and I would just love on my horse. And I can remember a time when I would tell, told my husband that I would do this. And he was like, wait, what? Like, I never saw you do this. And it was like, yeah, because I didn't want anybody to know, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. th- uh, my story. I, I would have to say why I was doing what I was doing. And so I would secretly, you know, my horses were my go-to and they were yeah. always my go-to growing up um, from a tiny kid all the way up. And so God really restored me. And when he restored me is when all of a sudden he wanted me to write a program that used, utilized the horse, but peeled back layer by layer by layer, the trauma that sexual abuse and traffic victims have gone through and allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he does and utilize the horse in that process. And so what was absolutely mind boggling to me was I never had any memories whatsoever of working in a round pen or doing at Liberty work or anything like that. It was blocked out. Like I didn't know how to do that. And after God started working on me and my trauma, all of a sudden he gave me these visions of me doing that with my grandfather and showed me exactly how to do at Liberty in, in their arena. I didn't learn it from anybody. I learned it from God in a visions of me and my grandfather when I was five to seven years old, um, working in a round pen and my grandfather showing me how to do different techniques and stuff. And it was mind boggling to me because I'd never had those memories before. I didn't know that I knew this information. And so God said, I want you to put that information on paper And so I'm like, I'm dyslexic. I don't write. I can (laughs) barely read. Here we go. Like, what are you freaking talking about? Like, no, this is not going to happen. So I fought him on it. I mean, fought him tooth and nail. I mean, there were a few cuss words that came out too, because I was like, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing. Um, But I would get in the arena and then I would write and I'd get in the arena and I would write. And it just, God just pulled it out of me. And so I put it on paper and um, so now I have this thousand page program, you know, we start out in the arena doing round pin work, um, and basically, you know, starting with hope and then trust and, um, really understanding what a new relationship looks like, what a healthy boundaries look like and equipping these kids with new relationship skills, all derived from a creature that can't talk back that can't tell your secrets. Um, and that's the incredible piece is these kids recognize that I can tell this horse anything 
and it's not going to judge me. It's not going to talk back. It, you know, it's just such an incredible tool and partner, um, and a friendship that the Lord gives us that if you're not a horse person, you probably won't get, but if you're a dog person, you'll still get it because it's the same kind of concept. Correct. Um, and animals are what God gave us to heal in my opinion. And, um, that's what he used for my healing process. It's incredible to hear the journey and how much ground was covered. I know going through it and being in the trenches, it seemed like forever, correct? But <laughs> yes, right. You're talking about a decade or so of, I mean, you went from, I mean, polar ends of a spectrum to being horrifically from being horrifically abused to, to flourishing and helping others. And I think in listening to your story, I think it's interesting. You talk about the dynamic of how your abuse was, I mean, it had some control of you, right? When you talk about the the drinking and the eating disorders, yet you had these oh, yeah. profound periods of clarity when you're raising proficient, successful children, right? Being a, being a, a, a successful mother and when you start to get into the horse and the horse's influence, I mean, there's some basic needs. And I think a lot of this is met in, in my efforts when, when I was working human trafficking in this area. And it was a culture shift that we tried to change uh, amongst law enforcement is that there has to be a fundamental level of safety that is met for any victim of abuse. Yes. They, yes. they need to know that they will not die. Literally, it is that dire. And once it you, is that dire. And once you fulfill that, right now we start working on basic needs, literally clothing and food. You will be fed, you will sustain life, and you will be sheltered. From there, you start to see the human being and the personality open up again, right? And we could start focusing on awareness and, and what happened to you and understanding that what happened to you is not who you are. Right. And I think that's what, mm -hmm. where a lot of the abuse takes place, or excuse me, where a lot of the trauma experience take place is that even, I mean, you look at post-traumatic stress, generally speaking, anybody who has gone through any experience that causes post-traumatic stress is that I think most people get to a point where the abuse becomes the definition of them. And that's not true, but it becomes perceived reality. Once you can open up that level of awareness, then we really, really, really start to focus on growth and managing uh, the abuse. And what I try to convey to people is that the restoration process takes years. You know, you were exposed to however many years of abuse, let's say 15 years of abuse for somebody to think that they can go to a weekend retreat for, they can get into, you know, self-help books for a year. And all of a sudden we're all going to be saved and, and back on the right track. No, that is not the reality of it, right? This takes uh, years and reality. years and years of chipping away at it. And I think people often look at the restoration and the healing process as a light switch, right? We're broken and off. Boom, turn it on. All right, we're good to go. No, it does not. It does not work like that. There's going to be, oftentimes, there's going to be a lot more valleys than peaks. And you got to take those small successes stride for stride. And in your story and in the development of your program, I think the horse offers a very passive aggressive way of completing a lot of these tasks for, for individuals as far as safety, basic needs, awareness, and growth. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think, yes, the horse is like that, that intricate piece to what Jesus uses, um, for the, for the trauma. Another piece that we are really passionate about within our organization, which a lot of organizations don't tap into this. Um, and this is one of our main focuses and we utilize the horse in this process and it's deliverance and inner healing. So deliverance for us, um, 
we like to say, you know, the world out there of Christianity and churches, um, they want to, they want to bring people to Jesus. Right. And that's obviously our number one goal is to bring people to Jesus. And then they talk about healing and they believe in supernatural healing and they believe in that someone can, can, you know, that didn't walk can walk again, or someone who has cancer can be healed from cancer or any healing can happen. But then when you talk about deliverance of demonic spirits, everybody runs for the hills and says, you know, that either doesn't exist or it, it is just, is not talked about because it seems to be a scary thing, but we hit it head on. And that's something that had to take place in my life in order for me to truly, truly heal from all of the demonic forces and the trauma that I had been through because it was all evil, complete and utter evil, um, surrounding my life, um, embedded inside of me. And so, it is a it is a process to deliverance, but we actually take the kids through that process. So, the, especially traffic victims, they have been violated in ways that you can't even possibly imagine. The evil that surrounds their lives and then mentally attacks them is like there's no words to put around the magnitude of that. Mm-hmm. And so, on top of you know giving them this creature. We're also, Jesus is walking them side by side with this beautiful horse and actually delivering them from the demonic strongholds in their mind that are keeping them captive and keeping them from running, that that keep them running back to the familiarity of the abuse, just like I did in college. Those demonic spirits drew me back to exactly the familiar spot that I knew, and that's to traffic myself again, right? So... I would say 90% of these kids run back to the industry. They run back to the familiarity that they know multiple times. And it's that demonic evil. I mean, it's the devil drawing them back to get them in the pits of hell where they came from so that they can find no worth in themselves to rise above. And for whatever reason, I cannot explain it to you, but when you're using the horse, it makes that process so much easier for these kids. They want out of the pits of hell and this horse draws them the sweetness and the tenderness at the same time that this horse pushes them and challenges them. It draws them out of that. And we are able through Jesus Christ to, to give these kids true deliverance from demonic spirits that to have strongholds over them. It couldn't ring more true. And that's why I describe this process as passive aggressive, right? Because the horse itself is not, presenting in any kind of threatening aggressive manner and in in a way that is familiar to to these victims of yep. abuse. However, the transformation that takes place is extremely aggressive. I mean, once that threshold is crossed, there is huge amounts of improvement that are made by way of the horse and on that note, I would like to further develop uh Colors of Hope and the program in which you put together and like you talked about, I mean, a thousand page document and you talk about your learning challenges and dyslexia. Um, I'm college educated and I wouldn't want to put together a thousand page document in any way, shape or form. So I tip my hat to you <laughs> in that process. It is absolutely most commendable, but let's talk about the development of the program, how it kind of came to be, how you were able to breathe life into this program. And then we'll talk about how, how people can get more involved. Yeah. Literally, I I had started my journey um, years and years ago by, by going to Africa, and I started doing mission work in Africa, and I would get kids that were type 1 diabetics connected um, and asthmatic kids because 
my oldest daughter is a type one diabetic and my youngest child is an asthmatic. And so I, I would go to Africa and I would get the kids connected to horses there. Um, and I would try and, um, utilize the horse in the best way that I can for the trauma that they were enduring. Not only were they had medical challenges, but they had poverty challenges, right. And societal challenges, many of them also sexually abused. And so God was just like morphing this creation. Um, but one of the things that I always taught my girls, which some people will contradict this and say, you know, this isn't the right way to teach your children, but this is how at the time of my life that, that I taught them. And it was, um, that we don't see color, but in the sense of, yes, God creates all color, right? There's so many beautiful colors of people and just colors in the world. So I'm not saying we don't see color. What I meant was we're not going to judge the color of someone's skin Mm -hmm. or where you're from. Mm -hmm. And so I taught them in that manner. And so I, I was like, Lord, like, I just want to give hope to all colors. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care where you came from. I don't care your background. I don't care your trauma. I want to give you hope and I want to give you hope through the horse. And so he gave me the name colors of hope for the program. And so I'm basically giving color back to children that it's like life has sucked the color out of their lives yes. Yes. through trauma, if that makes sense. That absolutely and so makes sense. I am, and I get teary eyed when I talk about it because it's just like, God redeems those colors in your life that have just been so black and white and dormant. And he basically used children in Africa for me to do this. And so I started putting on paper, it's a three phase program. It's completely and utterly Holy Spirit driven by um, the Holy Spirit and the horse. So the certified clinicians um, basically are trained in warfare and deliverance and then trained in the Colors of Hope program and learning how to peel back those layers little by little. And I basically started putting exactly what I walked through down on paper. So God allowed me to, you know, what did I need first? I needed hope, right? And then what did I need second? I needed to trust. I needed to learn to trust. And what did that look like? And could I trust this creature that was standing in front of me that was, you know, a thousand pound animal and I'm this kid? Um, And how do I trust it? And why do I trust it? And then how does that correlate to trusting God? Some many kids that I worked with in Africa, never, they were so remote Africa, they'd never even heard the word God. They didn't even know what that was. And so what does that look like for somebody in America or internationally that's been trafficked and in the slums and never experienced the word God before? Who is this man? And who, you know, what is he going to do for me? How does he create safety? And why does he do this for me? And so I just started putting layer by layer by layer exactly that for me, even though I was older when I started understanding, you know, who God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were in my life, I just put that out on paper. And he just miraculously put three phases together. The first phase of the program, he had me develop the program male and female oriented. And so there is a biblical figure in each phase. So the first phase is over the story of Ruth and basically where she came from. She came from a Moabite culture and that culture was prostitution, child sacrifice, sexual immorality, drugs, alcohol, you name it. That was that, that was that demographic in the Bible. And she came from that. 
But then the male figure in the first phase is Boaz. And he was this honorable, Christian, beautiful man of God that took in this Moabite woman to be his wife and the story and the dynamics behind that. And so you learn what, what it's like to have and come from kind of a, like a trafficking situation. Yeah. She wasn't trafficked, but yeah. she was in that culture. I mean, world. we don't know yeah. that she was, it's a dark world. She could have been trafficked. We have no idea. That was that culture. Um, it doesn't say in the Bible that, but, mm-hmm. um, and here this honorable man of society that didn't sexualize her, didn't demean her, didn't, you know, discredit where she came from. He honored her. And so what does that look like in those dynamics? And we use the horse to emulate that. And then the second phase of the program is over Esther and Mordecai. So Esther was trafficked um, in the Bible by King, by the King. Um, and he was part of, a lot of people don't teach it that way, but um, you know, he, she was part of his harem and which was multiple wives and um, he could take her as he pleased. And um, what does it look like to come from, she was an orphan, she was trafficked. And then the honorable, her uncle who took her in and showed her honor and respected her and brought her through and out of the situation that she was in with the king. Um, and God used her over and over and over again um, in the Bible. And so what does that look like to have this honorable man lift up this woman and and this dynamics um, of how God puts um, male and female roles within the Bible? And then the third phase is over uh, Mary and Jesus and bringing heaven to earth. And, you know, what does that relationship look like? You know, yes, it's a mother and a, and a, the son, you know, and how Jesus gave his life for us and teaching these kids that Jesus did give his life for us and he shed his blood for us. Um, and at the end of the program, something that's so beautiful is the child or individual going through the program actually washes the feet of their horse. And why did God have me do that? Because this horse has brought them through this process. It was their partner through this entire um, traumatic, you know, event of peeling back layers and loving on them and tears and growth. And that's exactly who Jesus is for us. And so they get to wash the feet of their horse. And then the clinician turns around and washes their feet. Um, and our hope is that they want to get baptized at the end of the program. And if so, the clinicians baptize them. And um, it's just a beautiful process of what God brings them through. You know, I don't even know what to say. The entire process is just so heavenly and so anointed by God. Yeah. And the creature that we get to use is just incredible. And so what's a typical duration for your program? I mean, is it is it... I mean, obviously it's goal oriented, but is it progression based or are you able to see the transformation take place in a certain time frame? So because the deliverance is such a powerful piece of what we do, um, we actually see progress way sooner than typical therapies. Um, but if in a perfect world, if we were systematically 24 weeks, if you never missed a week and you didn't have any hiccups, you didn't have any setbacks and you just went bam, bam, bam. Um, 24 weeks, but that's obviously not life and that's not reality. And that's not how the Holy spirit works. He works on his time frame. So generally speaking, um, about a year is what it takes for someone to be super healthy 
um, to be delivered, to be on the right track, to being able to be in the real world. Because you've got to remember, traffic victims haven't been in the real world. They had, they don't have checking accounts. They don't, they don't write checks. They don't use debit cards. They don't travel on their own. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's insane the amount of lack of knowledge of real world that they have. So you can't just put them out into the real world and expect them to survive. It's not like that. And so it takes a little while. There's a lot of mental healing that happens up front, but then there's still a lot of healing and knowledge and things that we have to teach them to actually live in the real world and transition them into real life. What does it look like to live on your own? What does it look like to pay an electrical bill? How do you pay an electric bill? If they want to go to college or if they want to go to trade school, how do you fill an application? You know, a lot of these kids um, don't write or read very well. And that's one reason why God, I think, used me as that, you know, someone to for them to look up to is because, you know, I don't read or write very well, but I, I wrote a thousand page program. So that means they can go to college yeah, and they can do absolutely. and they can excel in ways that you never dreamed when you have Jesus healing your brain. And what I think gives a program most credibility is that, right, you've lived it. This isn't somebody just wanting to do good. This is somebody that's walked the journey. And for you to develop skill sets to allow them, we we as quote-unquote normal people just call it everyday life, right? Getting in your truck and driving wherever you want to drive and choosing where you want to eat and when you want to eat and the clothes that you wear. Um, like you talk about, those are decisions that victims of abuse do not get the opportunity to do in most cases, right? So for you to develop a skill set and support a skill set in a lot of these uh, kids is is most commendable because those are the small battles that alleviate the regressions because these kids know how to create income. I mean, oftentimes with sex trafficking, that was it, right? It was drugs and, and abuse. And oftentimes they don't get to keep any of that money. There comes a point when the fight to grow is going to challenge their abilities. And that's when the evil starts to creep back in and they want to fight and get back to what's familiar. And for you to provide the skill sets of balancing a checkbook, writing a check, filling out a college application, getting a driver's license, right? Those are the small, small victories that I see that prove success and longevity for for many years to come and really solidify the personal growth transformation side of the of the the journey. I mean, there's so many pieces that, you know, I know we only have so much time, but there's, yeah. you know, between the horse and deliverance is another piece that we utilize um, that is new to my trauma walk. And it's called Saraset and it's a brain technology um, that basically transformed my thought process and my trauma and my triggers. And we are going to now start incorporating that into our entire program. Um, we're testing it with some traffic victims right now. Um, and it basically is a brain technology that settles the brain, um, balances the brain so that all the lobes of the brain are firing new neurons that have been damaged due to trauma. So now there may be dormant places in the brain that don't make you, um, think as clearly. So for instance, if you're triggered, you have typically responses and those responses are to freeze, to fight or to flee. And in, in that, that's all we know when we've been traumatized and it's all I knew. And once I went through this brain technology, all of a sudden my brain had this pause moment in it that allowed it to think clearly and actually be able to make a decision 
without my kind of go-to was a combination of freezing and fighting. And so instead of fighting the situation or just flat out freezing, now my brain goes, oh my goodness, I have a decision and I can actually pause and feel okay pausing and then make a healthy decision Mm -hmm. and use Mm -hmm. the tools that have been given through the horse and the Colors of Hope program. And so that is another piece that we're super, super excited about because it's, it's, it's making waves in people with trauma, uh, traumatized brains. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's truly incredible when you think about, I mean, literally rewiring the thought process, right? And, and the brain is an extremely powerful tool. I think the capabilities are kind of unknown and it's incredible to see how the highways can be rerouted, right? And and the success is attainable and doable. And I know a lot of this content and a lot of what we discussed is, emotionally driven. It's pretty rich. Some of it's even hard to wrap your mind around. What are some resources? I mean, your website included, right? To where people can maybe gain a little greater education or dig into things a little deeper to understand the reality of trafficking and and how it affects this country and what people can do to start to invest in some of these programs uh, such as yours, whether it be through volunteer work or financial commitment, um, or just even raising a level of awareness, right, within the community to watch out for these signs of trafficking. Yeah, so um, our website is kingsgateranch.org. So you can get a lot of information from there. You know, one thing that I always encourage people is I think there are so many trafficking organizations out there that are doing the most amazing work. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not one to say, oh, we're, you know, we're an end all to end all, right? Like we, I love to share other organizations that are doing good work. Um, another one of those is Answer International. I love them. I'm partnered with them. They're a phenomenal organization. They're starting to do some, they do a lot of great international trafficking work and they're starting to really get embedded here, um, in the U S as well. Um, there's another one called BHBA. Um, that's a dear friend of mine, Steve Stone, and they do work in Belize, um, and do some great work as well. Um, there is, um, trafficking 911, which is out of Dallas. They're amazing. Um, and so, um, you know, operation underground railroad, there's just such phenomenal, phenomenal organizations. There's another one called Atlas. Love them. I'm, um, recently, um, starting to partner with them. They're rescue ops, um, they do a lot of domestic and um, international rescues. And so there's just so many resources out there of great organizations that they can educate themselves on. And, you know, the biggest fight, I think, for um, matter of fact, I just had a, a conference call and this conference call was a group of seven organizations that all do some form, whether it's rehabilitation, rescue or education out in the field. Right. We're all in different different areas. And the biggest deal is funding. Um, funding is the biggest issue with every single one of us. And so whether it's you giving up a $5 or $7 latte a month, you know, like we need that. And so people don't understand the magnitude of money that it takes to help get these children rehabilitated. It takes a lot of money to rescue them, but it takes way more to rehabilitate them. And so if you can partner with organizations like myself, like BHBA and, and Answer International, we're on the rehabilitation side. Like that is so incredibly important because like that's the long-term work, right? To get them Correct. healthy. Correct. And, and then, 
if we are getting them to a healthy, stable, um, honorable, understand their identity in Christ and putting them back into society, again, that's the prevention piece. We're preventing sex trafficking from reoccurring. We're preventing rape. We're preventing more molestation from happening. Just rescuing them doesn't solve that problem, right? They need to be rescued obviously. Yes. Um, but then we need, we need the financial support. We need that so desperately, but then we also need for my organization specifically, I need honorable men that don't sexualize women that honor God with every ounce of their breath that they breathe to walk life with us, to walk life with these boys, whether you're in another state or not, it doesn't matter. You can come in, you can volunteer, on a weekend, you can volunteer on a week on your, you know, take a week's vacation, whatever that looks like for you. You can mentor long distance. Um, we're going to put that into play as well because I have so many great cowboys out there that, um, you, one of them, Jason, but <laughs> I have you, so dearly. many great cowboys out there that could be such an influence in these kids' lives. So whether it's Zoom calls, um, phone calls, text messages to these kids, like really just pouring life back into them or, also inviting these kids out to these other ranches and to other people's places that are like you, right? That have yes, horses and yes. doing good things with their horses. We want to send the kids out there to give them experience, right? Mm-hmm. We want them to have other experiences that we trust. And so we want partners like that to come alongside us and say, hey, I have a ranch. I love Jesus. I'm a Christ-centered man that wants to you know, show this kid how to work cows or work sheep or whatever it looks like, right? Maybe you're yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. Maybe you're in... Australia. We want to give these kids these opportunities on ranches um, to really understand the ranching and the rodeo and the horse equine way of life and how incredible that is uh, to building character and to building an honorable young man and that loves horses, that loves the equine industry and wants to go on and, and flourish in that industry. That's our goal at Kingsgate Ranch. I was going to say this is kind of a soapbox topic and probably a conversation for another day, but I've always professed that I think the father can fix this country, right? And yeah, oftentimes, oftentimes the fathers, and this is not to talk bad, right? Because life happens and circumstances are what they are. Um, oftentimes these fathers don't have the tools. And I'm not to say that I have all of them, right? I've made plenty of mistakes in my time and I am not perfect are. and I will never profess to be perfect, right? But organizations that align with your core values of restoration on all levels, right? This is definitely not something where any individual or organization needs to stand on the top of the mountain and say, I did it. This is a collaborative effort. Uh, There's just too much to this problem systemically for any one person or organization to take it on. And everybody has to play their role on the team. And guess what? Some people and some organizations are going to fall short, but it's incumbent upon the rest of us in humanity to help pick up that deficit and support that deficit when we can, because there's going to come a time when we fall on our knees and need to ask for help. Right. And we hope that the mutual support will be returned at that point. And I think it's most commendable. And and we're going to try to get Steve on and uh, get an episode recorded with his organization as well, because international human trafficking is an issue a thousand percent. Yes. But we very much have a domestic concern that needs to be addressed. And in my experience, the enforcement, the rescue side of it is easy. That's easy. Finding mm-hmm. these kids and getting to these kids is easy. Sustaining the restoration, sustaining the growth, sustaining the success. Uh, that's when you, when you got to roll up your sleeves and, and not be afraid to get dirty because it is a lifelong journey, you know, and I, I would always take the approach that 
all of these victims of abuse, right? They were conditioned into it. We absolutely can condition them out of it. That's right. We don't get to operate with force and fear and deficit of human liberty, which is a far more compelling way to convince a lot of these victims, right? We have to do it through love and support in Christ, but the work can can be done. It's just going to take a heck of a lot of work to do it. Well, and what I want to say to all your listeners is there's millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars going into the most insane, ridiculous areas, right? I'm not even mm-hmm. going to list them because that's a whole nother, <laughs> whole nother podcast, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Ridiculous amounts of money yes. that are being put into dumb Unnecessary situations. Funding. Unnecessary funding. Okay, guys, if you're one of those people, recheck yourself. Where is your funding going? Is it going to restoring the lives of a broken child? That child could be your child. Absolutely. Your child isn't, Absolutely. isn't um, eliminated from being trafficked. My children weren't eliminated from potentially being trafficked just because they were born to Jody Webb, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you, you got to look at it through the lens of that child could be my child and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that child has a healthy yeah. and sustainable, beautiful life from where they've yeah. been. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Good stuff, Jody. So as we wrap every episode, I like to ask a legacy type question, right? And so for you and your experience, what information would you share with somebody who may be a few miles behind you in the journey of life? Hmm. I know this probably is like a cliche statement, but don't give up. Yeah. And the and the reason why I say that is is I get tears in my eyes is you know, I put a gun to my head. I tried to slip my wrists. I took medication. I I did everything in my power to eliminate myself off the face of this earth. And God just kept saying, "Nope. Not, not going to happen. Not happening. I have a purpose for you." Yeah. He has a specific purpose. For every person that's a witch, for every person that's a devil worshiper, for every person that loves Jesus with all their heart, everybody that's in between, he has a purpose. And we have to just keep getting up, dusting off our knees, putting our cowgirl and cowboy hat on <laughs> and going at it again. Because if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have a successful nonprofit. I wouldn't be using my story you know, which is, is hard to use your own story. It's hard to put, it's hard to say these things happen to me and put that out to the world. I didn't want to tell everybody that I was trafficked. That is not something that I just, you know, chipper to go do every time someone asked me to get on a podcast with them. Yeah. But I know that it changes somebody's life every single time I say my story. And so don't give up, keep trying, seeking and reach out. Like I didn't reach out. And that's where I stumbled is because I didn't let people help me and people do want to help. And so you got to, you've got to put your pride down and be humble and that vulnerability to let people help you. And, and when you do that, that's when God is just like, zoop. And he just like swoops you up and you're on a ride of your life and you'll never look back. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that, you know, if, if there's anybody out there listening right now and there's suspicions of abuse um, in any of your dynamics or you want to learn more about it, there's definitely two resources sitting here in Let Freedom Reign podcast and all the work that Jody does at Kingsgate Ranch and Colors of Hope. 
do not hesitate to reach out. You know, I've had many people, obviously, because I travel a little bit, um, you know, ask about the signs. What do I look for? What, you know, how can I help? And there's definitely things that can be done, especially for those in the Western world that are traveling a lot. This is a, mm, it's a yes. transient crime, right? It happens everywhere. And I mean, I've, I've spent some time riding in some of the smallest communities you could imagine, but uh, you give me enough time, we'll be able to find it, right? It's, it's something right. that, that 100%. nobody is, is exclusive from. And like you talked about in, in my journey, you know, I've, I've come across the children of clergy, the children of law enforcement, the children of attorneys, right? Uh, that are out, out running in this world. So the criminal reach is unbelievable but it's incumbent upon us to fight and have a more compelling reach in, in restoring and, and growing these children and victims of abuse. Mm. So good. So good. Good stuff, Jody. Well, I'll tell you what, we blew through an hour pretty darn quick. Again, I cannot thank you for all the selfless work that you put into the world of trafficking, all that you've done through Colors of Hope, all that you will continue to do through Kingsgate Ranch. And obviously, everybody here at Let Freedom Rain Podcast is a resource for you, so do not hesitate to reach out anytime, and uh, I'm looking forward to future work together. Mm, thank you so much for having me. It was a great, great time. Appreciate it. All right, Jody. Have a good one, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast and being part of our Freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.